0: Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of James chapter 1, James chapter 1, and we pick up where we left off last Wednesday night, James chapter 1, and we worked our way through verse 18 of chapter 1, let's begin with verse 19 tonight, and we'll read down through verse 25 and look at these seven verses tonight, and think about the thought, the Bible. That's the book for me. Let's stand as we honor the reading of His Word. Here's a great passage. I love this passage. I have preached from this passage a number of times through the years and uh, different <laughs> thoughts that I've gleaned from this passage and messages I have preached in different places and whatever, but it's just a great passage of Scripture, and I want you to let the Spirit of God open it to your heart tonight and understand it. James 1, verse 19, he says... Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls." And continue therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Thank you. You may be seated. Let's pray. And tonight, we'll look at these seven verses. And again, if I were to give a title to it, which I have is simply the B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that we can walk and talk with you. And we're so honored that you would walk and talk with us. And we're so grateful, Lord, that we can come to you and bring our burdens and bring our needs and cast them upon you. Thank you for the wonderful privileges of the Lord that we've been reminded of in song tonight. Now, Father, we thank you for your Word. We've come tonight to study your Word. And we ask you, Lord, that the Spirit of God might be with us. I need the. Spirit of God in order to understand the Word. I need the Spirit of God in order to communicate the Word. And we all need the Spirit of God in order to understand the Word. So we ask you now to meet with me and this congregation and let us together grow in the Word of God. So speak to us tonight. We'll thank you and we'll praise you for what you teach us and what you help us to see. For it is in the name of the Lord Jesus we ask these things. Amen. Someone is written I am the Bible. I am God's wonderful library. I am always and above all the truth. To the weary pilgrim, I am a good, strong staff. To the one who sits in black gloom, I am the glorious light. To those who stoop beneath heavy burdens, I am sweet rest. To him who has lost his way, I am a safe guide. To those who have been hurt by sin, I am a healing balm. To the discouraged, I whisper a glad message of hope. To those who are distressed by the storms of life, I am an anchor, sure and steadfast. To those who suffer in lonely solitude, I am as a cool, soft hand resting on a fevered brow. O child of man, to best defend me, just use me. May I say tonight that the Bible is everything the writer described it to be. And I would remind you tonight that the Bible is all that you would need in life. And the Bible is more than you can need in life. But yet I'm also reminded that the way to experience all that the Bible can mean to you as a believer is found in the words of the writer, Just use me. Just use use me. The best way to defend me is just use me. If I were to sum up all that James has said in verses 19 through 25, it would be in the words of the writer, just use me. Just use me. One survey found that 27% of all Americans own at least five Bibles. But yet a poll in USA Today found that only 11% of Americans read the Bible every day. And more than half read it less than once a month or not at all. And even worse, George Barna conducted a survey of quote-unquote born-again Americans and found that only 18%, two out of every ten, read the Bible every day. And even worse, 23%, one in every four professing Christians say They never read the Bible. Well, let me say at the very beginning tonight, it is not enough to own a Bible. One must read the Bible, and one must use the Bible. The Bible will do you no good if all it does is sit on the coffee table or the shelf. It is a book that must be read. It is a book that must read be used. Now, you remember last Wednesday night, we concluded our study in verse 18, and we saw in verse 18 that the Word of God, the Bible, was an instrument in the hands of the Holy Spirit to bring us to Christ. Verse 18 says, of His own will begat He us with the Word of truth. Verse 18 tells us that we were born again through the power of the Word of God. And we looked at that last Wednesday night as we thought about the gifts of God and we thought about the greatest gift we have received from God. That is, being our, that is our salvation and how we've been begotten or born again through the power of the Word of God. Now beginning in verse 19, he begins with the word, wherefore. And whenever you find that word, wherefore, there, remember that it is connecting you to what has just been said. And what is about to be said is to be looked at in light of what has just been said. The word wherefore in verse 19 indicates that the instructions that are now about to be given to us in verses 19 through and following are instructions that are given to us in light of the place the Word of God had in our salvation. Verse 18 tells us that we were begotten by the Word of truth, wherefore. Because of the place that the Word of God had in our conversion, this is what our response should be to the Word of God. In verses 19 through 25, you see the part and the place that the Bible is to to have in the life of the believer. In a nutshell, again, going back to the words of our writer tonight, the Bible, verses 19 through 25, is telling us that the Bible is to be used in our life. So let's look at these seven verses, and I want you to jot down the things. You have the bulletin, your brochure there. Fill in the blanks. Follow me as I share them, as we put them on the screen. It'll help you to remember and the things we studied tonight. Let me point out these three things about the Bible. Understanding that the Bible, the Word of God, was an instrument in our conversion, then first of all, we should have this response to the Bible. There is our affection for the Word. We should have an affection or a love for the Word of God. In verses 19 through the first part of verse 21, the emphasis seems to be on how we feel about the Bible. It speaks and describes our affection for the Bible that is revealed in our hearing of the Word of God. Again, it talks about how we feel about the Bible, how we respond to the Bible, how we love the Bible. And that love is revealed in how we hear what God says in His Word. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about our hearing of the Word. Luke eight eighteen says, Take heed, therefore, how ye hear. And in Mark four twenty four, the Bible said, Take heed what ye hear. So the Bible tells us that it's very important how we hear the Word And it's equally important what we hear. When the case before is in James 1, the emphasis seems to be on how we hear the Word of God. I think of something in Spiro Zodotti's book on James. He describes four kinds of hearers. He says there are some that are like a sponge. They suck up both the good and the bad and then let both run out immediately. He said, there are those that are like the sand glass. They let what enters in at one ear pass out the other, hearing without thinking. And there are those that are like a strainer, letting go the good but retaining the bad. But there are those that are like a sieve, letting go the chaff and retaining the good. Well, look in our verses tonight. Notice what James has to say about our hearing of the Word and the kind of hearer that we ought to be. Look at it carefully. First of all, we see that there is to be an unlimited hearing of the Word. When he talks about our hearing of the Word, he describes an unlimited hearing of the Word. When it comes to our hearing of the Word of God, we are to avail ourselves of every opportunity to hear God's Word. There is to be an eagerness on our part to take advantage of every opportunity to hear God's Word. Our hearing is not to be occasional. And our hearing is not to be irregular. Our hearing is to be unlimited. And by that, I simply mean that we should look for and strive for every occasion and every opportunity to hear the Word of God. We should not limit our opportunities, but we should eagerly seize every opportunity we have. In verse 19... James emphasizes this unlimited hearing by describing the response that we should have to three particular matters. You notice there that he tells us that we should be swift to hear, we should be slow to speak, and thirdly, we should be slow to anger. Now, let me just point out a couple of things about what he says here. For one thing, when he talks about this response, he talks about a slow response on our part. If you notice there, he talks about being slow to, to speak and being slow to anger, being slow to wrath. Look at those for just a moment. Take, first of all, this matter of being slow to speak. You find that the wise man Solomon, uh, he spoke of this matter several times in Proverbs. Proverbs 10, verse 19, for example. In a multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. Proverbs 17, verse 27, He that hath knowledge spareth his words, and a man of understanding is of an excellent spirit. Again, he that hath knowledge spareth his words. And Proverbs 21, verse 23, the Bible said, Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. Well, James says that we should have this slow response to this matter of speaking slow to speak what is he talking about he's telling me and you as a believer that we're to be cautious and very careful in what we say and when we speak we're not to rush or to be hasty in what we say but rather we are to be slow to speak not rash not just babbling off at the mouth but carefully Weighing out our words. This story is told on one occasion of a young man that came to Socrates to be trained as an orator. And at his first meeting with the great teacher, this young fellow did not stop talking. I mean he rattled on 90 miles an hour. And finally Socrates interrupted him and said, Young man, I'm gonna to have to charge you a double fee. And the young man said, A double fee? Why is that? And Socrates answered, I will have to teach you two sciences. One, how to hold your tongue, and two, how to use it. Well, I've met a few through the years that needed to learn how to hold their tongue. And I've met a few through the years that needed to learn how to use it. But James says, first of all, you're to, slow, you're to be slow to speak. But notice something else. Not only slow to speak, but he also talks about being slow to wrath. I underscored the word wrath for just a minute. You find the word in verse 19. And you find the word in verse 20 there as well. He's talking about wrath. Now, the word wrath that he uses here speaks of more than just becoming angry. It was Will Rogers, I believe, that said, people who fly into a rage always make a bad landing. Well, in this case, it is more than someone flying into a rage. The word that he uses here speaks of that which is smoldering in the heart. It's describing someone whose heart is filled with anger or their heart is filled with bitterness or their heart is filled with resentment and that matter is smoldering in their heart. It's not burst into flames as of yet, but it's only a matter of time before it does. I am mindful that many times that we let certain things uh, cause us to become angry and sometimes we become resentful, we become bitter at someone or something, and, and we let that thing just sit in our heart. It's not a burning inferno, it's not flame in our heart, but yet it sits there smoldering in our heart. And ex- instead of extinguishing that matter, we let it sit there and smolder. And it's only a matter of time before it will burst into flames. It'll reveal itself in what we say. It'll reveal itself in how we act to someone. It smolders, and sooner or later it bursts into flames. James, in verse 20, adds a comment to this matter of wrath. He said, For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. This smoldering anger is just a breath away from being ignited into a flame. And when this happens... James says it never results in actions or behavior that is right in the sight of God. And he tells me in verse 20 that this kind of anger, this smoldering anger that burst into flames, never accomplishes the righteous purpose, righteous purposes of God for our life. So when he comes to this matter of wrath, he says, then you should be slow to wrath. It is a slow response to certain things. We're to be slow to speak and we're to be slow to anger. But you also notice in the verse that not only does he describe a slow response on our part, but he also describes a swift response on our part. For notice the first thing that he tells us to do. He tells us to be swift to hear. Now, when he talks about being swift to hear, he's talking about how we should hear the Word of God. The word swift that he uses there is a word that simply means to be quick. The word is translated from a word from which we get our word attackometer or attack we might call it. An attackometer or attack is an instrument that measures how fast a piece of machinery is operating. And when James says that we ought to be swift to hear, he's saying we ought to be quick to hear. We ought to be hasty to hear. We ought to be swift to hear the Word of God. He's telling us now there are some things that you ought to be slow in. You ought to be slow to speak, and you ought to be slow in wrath. But there's one matter you ought to be swift in and swift and quick in, and that is hearing the Word of God. Be slow about what you say. Be slow about wrath and becoming angry. But when it comes to the Word of God, you quickly hear what the word of God has to say the idea behind what James is saying is that we should quickly and hastily and swiftly avail ourselves of every opportunity as one writer said to increase our exposure to the word of God again James says when it comes to speaking you be slow when it comes to wrath you be slow but when it comes to availing yourself of an opportunity to hear the Word of God, you respond swiftly. He's telling us that we should strive to hear the Word of God every chance we get, whether it be privately or whether it be publicly. When it comes to a private exposure of the Word, everyone of us now ought to seek every moment we can and every opportunity we can to hear the Word of God. Guy King's comments on these words swift to hear, he says it describes an eager learner ever listening for the Spirit's voice and the inspired pages. What is he talking about? In essence, it's like this. If all you do when you read your Bible is move a bookmark, then you've never really read your Bible. You only read your Bible when you hear your Bible. Can I say that again? You only really read your Bible when you hear your Bible. That is, listening to what God is saying to you in the Bible. When you read the Bible, you're to read the Bible with the objective of listening to what God is saying to you in the Bible. The Bible is more than a history book. It's more than a science book. It is more than prophecy. It's God speaking to us. And so when you read the Bible, you read it with the objective of listening to what God has to say. Within your private life, your private time, you ought to seize every moment and seize every opportunity to hear the Word. Now, you be slow about speaking and you be slow about getting angry, but don't be slow about getting along with God and hearing God through His Word. But most likely what James is talking about is a public hearing of the Word. Swift to hear. That is, swift to hear or value yourself of public opportunities to hear the Word of God. He's no doubt talking about the preaching of the Word of God. Now, there are many Christians, unfortunately, that feel that one sermon a week is all they need. And there may be a few more that feel like they can get by on two sermons. Blessed be the hearts of those who feel they need at least three sermons. But what James is saying to us here is that we should be swift to hear the Word, that we should be eager and quick to avail ourselves of the opportunities that may be given to us to hear the giving and the preaching of the Word of God. In other words, every time you have a chance to hear the Word, you ought to quickly respond, quickly jump at that opportunity. I believe this. I believe you need to be here every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, and every Wednesday night. And it's not just so we can get you here. Counting you on a roll and putting you on a board is not our objective here. You need to be here Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night, every service, because you want to hear what God says in His Word. And one thing's always going to be true about this place. Nothing will take the place of the preaching of the Word of God. Everything we do will be built around what happens right here in this pulpit. We don't build this pulpit around things that happen. We build things that happen around this pulpit and the preaching of the Word of God. And you ought to jump. At every opportunity you can to hear the Word of God. Oh, preacher, you mean we're going to have revival and I'm going to have to come four nights of revival. Amen. Glory to God. Seize the opportunity, every opportunity you have to hear the Word of God. Not limiting yourself in how many times you hear and what you hear, but an unlimited, unlimited hearing of the Word of God. Amen. Amen. It says be swift to hear. And many times the other way around, we're swift to get angry. And we're swift to speak, but we're slow to hear. But James says, hear the Word of God. Avail yourself of every opportunity. But it was something else, he not only talks about unlimited hearing, but he also describes unhindered hearing. Notice in verse 21, again, you find the word wherefore. Remember the rule? When you see the word wherefore, same thing as the word therefore. It's like someone said, when you see the word therefore, see what it's there for. And when you see the word wherefore, just remember what is about to be said is being said in light of what has just been said. So he says in light of what he has just said now, you be swift to hear. And you be slow to speak and you be slow to get angry, but swift to hear the word. In light of that, then he tells us in verse 21, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness there is not only to be a response on our part, but there is to be a removal on our part as well. Since there is to be an unlimited hearing of the word, there should also be an unhindered hearing of the word. Let me explain. Look at the words lay apart. It says in verse 20 and verse 21, wherefore lay apart. Those words lay apart there simply mean to put off. And the words were descriptive of someone taking off a coat or taking off a garment. Like you come in from a hard day's work, you take off your coat. The idea when he says to lay apart is to put off or to take off, like you would take off a coat, a shirt, or some kind of garment. He tells us in verse 21 that we are to lay apart or put off certain things that we need to, it tells us there in verse 20 in a nutshell that there's certain things that we need to get rid of in our life. That's the best way I know how to put it. He says, wherefore, lay apart. Wherefore, in light, how you ought to be swift to hear the Word of God. Now, therefore, wherefore, then put off or get rid of certain things in your life. Now, what is it we're, we're supposed to get rid of? Look at a couple of things here. For one thing, he tells us that we're to get rid of all defiling sins. Notice the word filthiness in verse 21. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness. Now, the word filthy that he used there is a word that simply speaks of that which is dirty or defiling. For example, just hold your place and look in James 2 and verse 2. In James 2 verse 2, and we'll look at this later on as we get there, but he said in verse 2, For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring in goodly apparel and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment he describes a rich man coming in with nice clothes he describes a poor man coming in with dirty ragged clothes he calls them vile garments in verse 2 there Will you see the word vile comes from the same basic word of our word filthiness in chapter 1 verse 21 He says, wherefore, lay apart all vileness, lay apart all filthiness, lay apart all of that which will dirty the soul or defile the life. It is a word that is descriptive of moral sins. He says to us in verse 21 there, there is to be a removal of anything that would defile us. Notice carefully, lay apart all Filthiness—not one or two things, but all filthiness, all that which will defile us. There's a removal of defiling sins, but you also notice in verse 21 there is a removal of all deliberate sins. Verse 21 not only speaks of filthiness, but it also speaks of the superfluity of naughtiness. There, a couple of interesting words. The word superfluity speaks of that which is in abundance. We would say a surplus. In the black, we might say. A superflu- a, bun- a surplus. And the word naughtiness is a word that speaks of anything that is bad, and in particular when used in the Bible, it pertains to that which is deliberate on our part. So he tells us, first of all, I want you to get rid of all the things that will dirty the heart. I want you to get rid of anything that will defile you, and furthermore, I want you to get rid of anything All this superfluity. I want you to to get rid of all deliberate sins. I find it very interesting. Look at that word superfluity again. It's the same basic word that is used in Mark 8, verse 8, to describe the leftovers. When Jesus broke the bread and the fish and he fed the 5,000. Remember he took the little lads, loaves, and the little lads fish, and he broke them, fed 5,000, and they gathered up the fragments. Mark 8, verse 8 talks about that which was left over. The word superfluity there is, is basically the same word, left over. I said he talked about a surplus there. But when James ties it to this matter of being naughty, a leftover of naughty things, a surplus of naughty things. The ideal is that we're to get rid of all the things in our life that have been left over from the old life. Now, if you've been saved, you are a new man. You walk in new life. But you remember when you first got saved? Your whole life changed. You began to think different. You began to act different. Everything about you changed. But it didn't take you very long to realize that there were still some things kind of left over from the old life. And there was some still some baggage that you had from the life that you used to live before and some things that were kind of clinging on to you. Like that verse 19, talks about anger and temper would be a good thing, would it not? I, I'm looking at all of you tonight. And I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you because I know when you got saved that all of you lost your temper and your perfect little angels tonight. Say, amen. man. And uh, that's not what your wife tells me anyway, but I will we'll go on. Uh, but temper would be one thing. Fewer choice words that we had from the old life, and we got saved, and, and all of a sudden we found our something slipping out of us, and And everything's like that. The truth is, you get saved, you become a new man, but there's a lot of baggage that comes over from the old life. Some leftovers from the old man. And this is what James is saying. I want you to get rid of anything that's left over from the old life. I want you to get rid of all that which will defile you. Anything that is left over from the life that I want you to live, I want you to put it off. Lay it apart. Get rid of it. Now you say, what does all this have to do with our hearing? Again, notice the word filthiness in verse and verse 20 there, 21. Wherefore lay apart all filthiness. There's a place on your bulletin to fill in the blank here. The word filthiness that is used there is comes is a compound word that from which we get our words earwax. He said, I want you to lay apart or to get rid of the earwax. Now, he's talking about our hearing. He says, let every man be quick to hear the Word. At every occasion you have to hear the Word of God. And then he says in verse 21 there, And furthermore, in light of what I've just said, you be swift to hear, In light of that, then get your ears cleaned out so you can hear the Word of God. He's telling us to remove everything that would hinder us from being able to hear the Word of God. Now, don't reach up and stick your finger in your ear right now, but I wonder if there's anybody here tonight, their their ears is full of wax, hindering you from hearing. You ought to be quick to hear, but don't let anything in your life that would hinder you from hearing the Word of God. Let me sum it up this way. He's telling us we're to have a great affection for the Word. We're to love the Word, love the Word so much that we jump at every opportunity to study and read the Word of God, that we jump. We're eager at every opportunity to seize every opportunity we have to hear the Word of God. And because of that, he says, don't let anything hinder you from hearing the Word. It's our affection of the Word of God tonight. Amen? Are you with me now? Amen? Quick to hear. But look at something else and let me move on. Time's going to get away from me here. And it's really not going to get away from me. It's just going to lengthen out for you. Amen? But notice the second thing. Not only does He talk about our affection for the Word, but second of all, we see our acceptance of the Word. Notice in verse 21, the latter part. He not only tells us in light of the instruction to hear the Word and to be swift to hear, therefore don't let anything hinder you from hearing. He says in verse 21, and also receive with meekness the engrafted Word which is able to save your souls. He's not only talking about our hearing the Word, but also our receiving the Word. Now, just with me carefully. First of all, notice in that statement, the welcome we are to give. There is the welcome we are to give. Notice the word receive. Receive with meekness the engrafted word. The word receive there simply means to welcome. And the picture is of welcoming a friend into your home somebody that you love dearly and somebody that you have a great friendship with, if they were to come to your house and ring your doorbell, knock on you, I want you to welcome the Word. He said, I want you to be quick and avail yourself and seize every opportunity to hear the Word of God. Don't let anything hinder you from hearing. And what you hear, welcome the Word into your life. How are we to welcome the Word? He tells us in verse 21 that we're to welcome the word with meekness. Notice that. Receive with meekness the engrafted word. The meekness, the word meekness there was a word that was used to describe an animal that had been broken and domesticated, such as taking a wild horse and then breaking that horse and making that horse submissive to a master. The ideal is that we're to be submissive to the word that we hear. Now listen to me tonight. It is not enough just to read the Bible. You must hear the Bible. But furthermore, it is not just enough to hear the Word. You must submit to what you hear. We are to welcome what we hear in our lives, and whether it be in our own private exposure to the Word as we read it ourselves, we are to read it and to listen Don't let anything hinder us from being able to hear what God is saying and then what we hear, we submit to what we hear. And the same thing's true about coming to church. The pastor, if he preaches the Word of God, And preaching's more than telling a story. Preaching's more than just rattling on for 45 minutes to an hour. Preaching is taking the Word and bringing people to an understanding of what God is saying in His Word. And when you come to church and you hear the Word, then you are to welcome that Word in your life, being submissive to what the Word of God is saying. Willingly and heartily submitting to the Word of God. Now, down through the years, I've been pastoring the biggest part of my life. Over half of my life. This, this is all I have ever done. I've never done anything else but just preach the Word of God. And I've known a few through the years that I made mad. <laughs> I've made more than one or two mad down through the years. And I'm not talking about that I hid them or anything like that. I've made a few of them mad because of what I said. And I confess, there might have been a time or two through the years that I made somebody mad in how I said it. And I want you to understand, so I don't want to make anybody mad tonight because of my disposition. That would bother me. If I made anybody mad over my disposition, uh, that would really grieve my heart, and I want to make that right. But I want you to understand something. If I make somebody mad because of my position, I'm not going to lose a minute's sleep over it. It's a difference between making somebody mad because of my disposition and making somebody mad because of my position. Down through the years, I have made a few mad because of what I said and what I taught said this is what the Word of God has to say. That's why I, almost, I, don't, I don't get wrapped up in issues and on everybody's a little platform. All I do is take this book and read you a, a four or five verses of Scripture or whatever and then turn around and tell you what those verses say. I just tell you what God says. That keeps me out of a lot of trouble. And if I tell you what God says and, tell, and explain you what God says, then your attitude ought to be this is God's Word. And I want to welcome that Word into my life. And I want to be submissive to what the Word of God is having to say. I have met a few through the years that I made mad because they didn't want to hear the Word. They didn't want to welcome the Word or be submissive to it in their life. But James says, there is the welcome we are to give. But look at the second thing. There is not only the welcome we are to give, but there is the work we are to grant. Verse 21 calls the Word of God the engrafted Word. It is literally the implanted word. I believe I used the word implanted in your bulletin there. And the word engrafted or the word implanted there simply means to plant a seed in the ground. It's past tense, meaning that there is a seed that has been planted. The ingrafted word, the word that has been planted in your heart. You, the Bible was the instrument whereby God brought you to Christ, but do you realize that your conversion, God sowed a seed in your heart. The word was engrafted in you. The word was implanted with you. It was implanted. It was planted in our hearts. And after our receiving of the word with meekness, when he talks about receiving that implanted or that engrafted word, speaks of allowing that word to work in our lives. Now, you be quick to hear it. Don't let anything hinder you from hearing it. Welcome what you hear. And be submissive to what you hear, allowing that which has been planted in your heart to come to fruition in your life. As believers, the Word has been planted, and we are to provide the soil that will enable the seed to grow in our life. And we are to water and fertilize the Word so it can accomplish in our life that which God intended. Now, what is it God intended in our life? Look at the latter part of verse 21. He says and speaks of the word which is able to save your souls. It's not talking about salvation in the sense that you are lost and you come to Christ and you're saved. That's what he's talking about. It is a continuing work of salvation he's talking about. A work, work whereby God continues to save us. We have eternal life, but there is that saving work whereby God is bringing to pass and fulfilling the purposes and the plans for God for our life. What God has planned for me and what God has planned for you is fulfilled in our life and is accomplished in our life. So he says, let the Word of God work in you. It's been planted in you. Now you give it the soil to grow in. You water that Word. You fertilize that Word so that God's plan and purpose is brought to pass in your life. What he's saying is we're to seize every opportunity we have to hear the Word of God. We're to welcome God's Word and submit to that. And what we hear, so that the Word of God can work in our life and bear fruit and bring to pass all that God wants in our life. I think about 2 Thessalonians, or rather 1 Thessalonians two thirteen. Jot the reference down. If you don't turn to it quickly, you can, but at least jot the reference down. Paul spoke with the believers at Thessalonica, and he gave thanks to them. And one of the things he gave thanks for was the way they allowed the Word to work in their life. He said for this cause also thank we God without ceasing because when you received the word of God which you heard of us you received it not as the word of men but as in truth the word of God which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Paul said I give thanks for the fact that you received the word and you received it not just as a mere Mortal message or a message of man, but you received it as in truth the Word of God, and you allowed that Word to work mightily in your lives. To put it in a nutshell, we should get in the Bible and we should let the Bible get into us. It is our acceptance of the Word. Are you with me now? Say amen. One final thing, and then I'll let you go home before sunrise. The third thing I want you to notice is this not only our affection for the Word and our acceptance of the Word, but thirdly, our abiding in the Word. And verse 22, notice the words, but be ye. He begins verse 22 by saying, but be ye. See the words be ye there? They are words that speak of that which is continual. It speaks of that which is habitual in a person's life. It speaks of something that abides in a person's life. The same thought is found in verse 25 when it talks about one that continueth therein. You see that in verse 25 right in the middle of the verse, but whoso looketh in the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein. Again, the ideal is of somebody that abides in this particular matter. You see, there is not only a proper response to the word and a proper reception to the Word, but there is a proper result. There is an abiding in the Word of God. Look in the beginning of verse 22. James talks about a doer, and he talks about a hearer. He said in verse 22, But be ye doers of the Word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own self. Now, you notice the word doer there. It speaks of more than what a person does. It is a word that characterizes the whole person. It is a word that describes what a person becomes, not just what they do. When James talks about somebody being a doer of the Word, he's not just talking about all of your activities. He's talking about you. He's talking about what we become as a result of the Word of God. The word doer speaks of a productive action that leads to an actual result in our life. In fact, the word that is used here is a word that gives us the word poet, a poet, somebody that writes a poem. You know what a poet is? A poet takes this word, and he takes this word, and he puts these words together in order to express a thought for a feeling that he has or something that he wants to communicate. And he takes this word and that word, and he puts it all together, and it comes forth in a beautiful poem. The ideal is that we're to hear the word. Every chance we get, hear a word here, hear a word there, hear a word here, hear a word there. And we put them all in our life, and the result is we become something that glorifies God. Or we become something that reflects the purposes of God for our life. That's what it means when it talks about a doer. But notice in verse 22 that the doer is set in contrast to one that is a hearer only. Verse 22, he talks about a doer of the Word, somebody that becomes something because of the response to the Word, the proper response, and not hearers only. Now, that word hearer there is an interesting word. It is a word that literally means to audit a class. Audit a class. Some of you may remember back to your college days or even since then, or you, maybe your company has sent you somewhere for this, that, and the other. And sometimes, instead of you actually taking a class to get a grade, you audit the class. Now, what you do when, an audit, when you audit a class is you attend the class just like every other student. You hear the teacher teach on the subject that he's teaching just like every other student in there. You sit in the classroom. You listen to the teacher. You learn the subject just like everybody else in that class. You learn what is being taught, but when it's all said and done, you don't get credit for it. You don't get a grade for it. Now, James said, I don't want you to be like somebody that just goes to class and they don't get anything out of it. I don't want you to be like somebody that audits a class and doesn't get any benefit from being in that class. He said, I want you to hear the Word of God. I want you to let it touch your life and impact you so you become what God wants you to be, not just somebody that hears week in and week out and you don't get anything out of it. In any church you go into, there'll be folks that'll come on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night, and they will hear just like everybody else in the class, but when it's all said and done, they won't get any benefit out of it whatsoever. And sometimes that may be due to the one communicating the truth. Many times, it's due to the fact that someone didn't welcome the word and didn't submit to the word and allow the word of God to work. In they heard, but they didn't do anything with what they heard. Amen? Don't be a, are you all in the class tonight? Well, Mike, Mike West is. We know that's amen. Look at verse 23. He emphasizes the thought of abiding, he further emphasizes the thought of abiding in the word. Notice, first of all, I give these two things, I quickly close. One, you see the picture that explains abiding. Verse 23 through 25, James says in contrast, the doer and the hearer only. And the picture in verses 23 through 25 is of each one of them looking into a mirror. Verse 23 talks about a glass. The glass he's talking about is a mirror. And in verses 23 through 24, we see one who is a hearer only. Notice Verse 23, if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, now this man's like. He is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass or a mirror. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he is. Now here's what a mirror will do for you. A mirror will reveal certain things. It will Reveal certain needs in your life and say you get up in the morning And you go to the mirror And the mirror Will tell you immediately it'll reveal Some needs or some things that need to be attended to in your life It'll tell you buddy. You need to comb your hair I'm all time people All my life always people's always say, preacher your hair looks so good. I'm glad That you haven't seen what my mirror has seen. Because I get up in the morning, my hair is sticking up everywhere. It goes through a process of being whipped into subjection. But anyway, I look into a mirror. And the mirror says, your hair's all messed up. You need to do something with your hair. And the mirror says, your face is dirty. It needs to be washed. And James talks about this man. He comes to the mirror. And the mirror tells him there are certain things that he needs to attend to. But James says, this man beholdeth himself. He sees himself in the mirror. The mirror identifies needs in his life, but he doesn't do anything. He doesn't do anything about it. He goes on his merry way, and soon he forgets all about what the mirror told him that he needed to give attention to. But in verse 25, he describes a doer. In verse 25, we see one that looks into the mirror, And not only sees what the needs are, but he does something about the needs. But whoso in verse 25 looketh from the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed indeed. Again, in this man the mirror revealed needs in his life. It showed things that he needed to give attention to. And in this case, this man responded to what the mirror revealed, and he attended to those matters. James says he does not become a forgetful here. That is, he does not ignore what has been revealed, but he responds to the needs. Now, here's the lesson James gave, that God's Word is a mirror that reveals needs in our life. Now, here's one of the reasons some folks will get offended at the Word, because it shows them who they are. And I look in that mirror, it doesn't. It, his objective is not make me feel good. When I look in that mirror, he doesn't look at me and say, "If I tell him his face is dirty, it's going to hurt his feelings." And he doesn't look at me and say, "Listen, oh, he's had such a bad week; his hair looks awful." But I'm going to tell him he looks good. No, a mirror do, don't work that way. It's not like mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the prettiest one of us all? Who's the fairest of them all? Don't work that way. That mirror I doesn't have any emotions whatsoever. That mirror just tells me like it is. And the Word of God shows me what is really true about me. I may think one thing, I may try to be something else, but the mirror says, this is what you are. And the mirror reveals my sin, and the mirror reveals my shortcoming. Well, oh, you can do one of two things. You can let the mirror reveal needs in your life and then go on out and don't do anything about it. Or you can do like James says, a man is a doer. He will do something about it. The words continue there in verse 25 indicates the doer is one that is always responding to what the Word reveals. He abides in that truth. And there's a final thing. You know, and see, the picture that explains abiding, but the promise that encourages abiding. What does James say about the person who abides in the Word? He said in verse 25, the latter part, this man shall be blessed in his deed. James says that the person that will hear and receive and abide in the Word as somebody that will be blessed of God. Do You want to be blessed of the Lord tonight? Do you want to be blessed of the Lord? Then every chance you can, you hear His Word and you open your heart to that Word and let God work in your life through that Word and you will be blessed. Sum it all up, the B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. Take your prayer sheet tonight. We want to remember our missionary of the week. And really not a missionary, but we wanted you to be praying for Brother Hurt, evangelist Brother Hurt. He is, in fact, he's supposed to be in town this week in a meeting, but he's been having some health problems. And I think somebody said he had kidney stones and a few things. So let's remember Brother Hurt tonight. We wanted to remind you of his needs and let you be praying for him. We love and appreciate Brother Hurt. Our church of the week is Calvary Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina, uh pastor Bert dixon this is one of the preachers that was with us in our bible conference and then our hospital list joanne Wyndham. we need to remember joanne in a special way and they have her on the breathing machine everything like that she has some real needs and want to lift her up linda kelly Catherine holmes and then willie holcomb she had knee surgery today wasn't extensive as they thought it would be she's doing well billy jackson and it's Virginia Mitch- Mitchell's cousin. And then Ray Abney, Leray Eli's father. And then Brandon Berry had to go in this afternoon. I want to remember him. And then uh, two or three special requests given to me tonight. Special requests for Adeline Dobbs at Health South. Had open heart surgery. And she has Parkinson's disease. I want to remember Ms. Dobbs. And also for John Holder. This is a family in East Ridge. Their son-in-law, 30 years old, was killed in an accident And you want to remember this family and also for Stanley Eldridge be having heart surgery. So we want to remember these. All of you that will, let's come. Let's gather around the altar and let's ask the Lord tonight to help us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And ask God to work the truth of the word into your heart tonight. And then remember our missionary of the week and our church of the week. Brother Aaron, good to have you home. He was gone last week on vacation. Come up here and lead us in prayer, if you would. And let's remember these things and lift these things up to the Lord in prayer.
1: Our Father, we thank you tonight for the privilege that we have to pray. Thank you, Father, for reminding us again tonight about how wonderful your Word is. It is a book that is unlike any other book in the world. Thank you for challenging our hearts again and making us aware of our need for your Word and the things that that it can mean to us. It is a book that is alive. It is a book that is wonderful. And it is a book that is vital to our lives. Thank you for reminding us of that tonight and I pray that we would take this message and God that we would apply it to our lives God that we would make more of the word of God in our lives thank you for your word in our language thank you that we can read your word thank you that we can study it thank you father that there's no danger Lord of of the the government taking that away from us right now we live in a free country that we can read your word thank you for that and father we pray for these requests that were brought before us tonight we do pray for brother hurt that you would help him and bless him and god in this time of physical difficulty and god we pray for brother dixon over north carolina and their church and father we pray for all those that are hospitalized lord so many needs that are represented in our church and god so many people that are struggling and god battling so many things And God, I pray that you would help each one of them. I pray for this family that lost the little baby this week. We pray that you would be real to them at this time. God, we pray that you would encourage them. We pray that you would comfort them. We pray that you would be there for them and strengthen them as they go through this. Father, we pray for those special requests that Brother Ken mentioned. And God, the needs that were were brought to our attention tonight. God, we pray that you would work. We pray for all of our shut-ins. Lord, all of those that are in the nursing homes. And God, all of the, Lord, the requests that are here on this list, and God, requests that are not made known. God, unspoken and silent request. God, each need represented in this building tonight, we pray that you would meet each one. Thank you that we can come to you and we can pray. Thank you that we can come to you, and God, we can call out on you. And God, we can rest assured tonight that you do hear what we say. Thank you, God, that you are at work in our lives. Thank you for giving us the opportunity and the privilege to pray. Help us as we go our separate ways tonight. Bring us back safely here on Sunday. Father, we thank you and we love you. And we appreciate you for all that you've done for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Praise
0: the Lord.
1: Remember faith tomorrow night. You're
0: dismissed. Let our visitors tonight know how glad we are to have them. Come back on Sunday. Bring somebody with you.